Hi, this is Janine Percival Wright, the Director of Legal Affairs for Intellectual Property and Litigation with True Religion Brand Jeans in beautiful Los Angeles, California. You're listening to IP Fridays. Thanks for the great podcast, guys. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 19. Ken and I want to wish you a successful and healthy year 2015. We have a special treat for you today. A judge of the Federal Supreme Court in Germany, Klaus Krabinski, is making the rules for the Unified Patent Court and will give us a status update. I will tell you about the USPTO. They have released a patent eligibility guidance. And Ken will tell you about fee reductions at the USPTO. But before we jump into all this, I want to announce the winners of the Christmas mugs that I promised. One Christmas mug goes to Reg in Los Angeles. She's writing, thanks for a great podcast. It's a great addition to my weekly lineup. What's great about it is that it's international in nature and not purely focused on the USPTO. Another Christmas mug goes to Ed. He is writing, thank you very much for putting these podcasts together. I have enjoyed listening to all of them as they are very informative. He wants to know more about the interim guidance on subject matter eligibility by the USPTO, which I am talking about today. And he also wants to know more about uh, patent right enforcement in China, which we will talk about in the future. And then one mark goes to Ruth in London. She is our most dedicated and loyal listener. Ruth, you are listening to this and you know who I mean. And I also want to already tease an event that we are hosting. Both Ken and I will be present at the INTA meeting in San Diego in May. And we will be hosting a meetup. So if you want to meet us in person in San Diego, you will get a link in the next episode where you can register for the meetup it will likely be on tuesday evening we want to meet you in person and we will also invite the guests that have been on the show so far so ken you wanted to tell us more about the fee reductions at the uspto ralph you will likely pay more for some items in your daily life at the grocery store convenience store or even when you take your next vacation However, in 2015, the United States Patent and Trademark Office is rolling back prices for certain filing fees as long as certain conditions are met. Effective January 17, 2015, there will be a new type of application that can be filed at the USPTO, which carries a new pricing structure. Known as T's Reduced Fee, practitioners and trademark applicants should consider this option to take advantage of the $50 fee reduction per class. This lowers the filing fee for one class of goods or services 
from $325 to $275. To obtain this savings, the application must be filed electronically via the Trademark Electronic Application System, or TEAS application form, located at www.uspto.gov, and the applicant must authorize that all communications will be via email, and that all responses and other documents required during prosecution of the application will be filed electronically. For those applicants opting for the T's Plus application, where the applicant chooses preset descriptions of identifications of goods and services, the fee reductions continue, such that the filing fee is reduced from $275 to $225 per class. The identifications come from the USPTO's Acceptable Identification of Goods and Services Manual, which is available at www.uspto.gov. For trademark renewals, the savings continues when a T's renewal application is filed. The filing fee for renewals will be reduced from $400 to $300 per class. That is a savings of $100 per class. The fee reductions are being put into place this year because the USPTO has increased their efficiency levels and have developed what they call an operating reserve in light of these department efficiencies. The USPTO hopes that these fee reductions will encourage additional trademark and service mark filings in 2015 and beyond. There is a helpful chart summarizing the new filing fees at http colon double backslash www.uspto.gov backslash trademarks backslash tees backslash reduce underscore fees underscore info dot jsp. A link to this webpage is located in the show notes. So if you want to know more about this, go to ipfridays.com slash trademark fee reductions, all one word ipfridays.com slash trademark fee reductions. So here it comes, our interview with Klaus Kabinski, who is judge at the German Federal Supreme Court and is making the rules for the Unified Patent Court. I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Klaus Kabinski today. Uh, he is appointed as a judge in the Federal Supreme Court at the Bundesgerichtshof in 2009, and he is currently member of the 10th Civil Division, 10. Zivilsenat. Um, before that, he was pres presiding judge at the district court in Düsseldorf, where we actually met. Uh, I had the chance and fortune to be uh, one of his trainees uh, for two months. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It is my great pleasure to contribute to this program. Uh, and it's also, of course, a pleasure uh, to speak to you again after so long uh, time. <laughs> so um, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Well, as you already mentioned, I'm judge at the Federal Court of Justice, which is the Supreme Court of Germany with regard to civil and criminal law matters, where I'm a uh, um, bit more than half of my time dealing with patent cases, um, revocation cases as well as infringement cases um, and uh, I'm now for uh, uh, about uh, three years, three, four years, member of uh, the so-called drafting committee uh, that is uh, dealing with uh, the, the drafting of the uh, rules of procedure of the future unitary uh, patent court. All right. 
So since you are currently working uh, on the rules of the Unified Patent Court, um, maybe you can give our listeners who may be copyright or trademark practitioners a brief summary of what the European patent with unitary effect actually is and what the Unified Patent Court is. And maybe you can also summarize the benefits that people are expecting from these new entities. Um. Please let me start uh, with a short look on the current situation. Uh, as you know, uh, we do have in Europe a national patent and we have the European patent. European patent essentially means you have one stop for the granting of the patent, meaning you, you can file an application to the European Patent Office. And when you are successful, a patent has been granted, what you essentially get is a bundle of patents, meaning you get protection like a national patent in uh, the contracting states uh, you designated. Uh, and um, uh, the problem uh, here is uh, uh, that um, you uh, have to go, when you want to enforce the patent, you have to go uh, to um, uh, the courts of each of the, um, the contracting states in which you want to enforce uh, the patent. Uh, which uh, uh, resulted in the past uh, in a number of parallel infringement litigations, uh, namely uh, in, in, in Germany, in the UK, in the Netherlands, in France, etc. And so some people thought uh, that this is uh, uh, costing a lot of money and a lot of time, uh, and uh, sometimes also uh, 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 results in, in different decisions. Um, and uh, so there uh, was kind of a demand uh, for uh, uh, also a one-stop system, uh, not only on the um, prosecution side, but also on the infringement, on the uh, enforcement side. And uh, this is essentially uh, uh, the idea uh, uh, of having a one court uh, for uh, uh, a number of uh, European states with regards to infringement uh, litigation. Right. And maybe just uh, to briefly bring our listeners up to date with the European patent uh, with unitary effect. Um, currently, the situation is the way that you would have to validate after granting of the patent, you would have to validate in each national uh, state or member state. And in the future, it uh, might be possible to actually validate the patent in most of the EU countries as one entity. Uh, at the moment, just Italy and Spain are not playing with us, but uh, the rest of the member states joined this new effort, basically. Yes, you're right. Uh, we will essentially have uh, two kinds of European patents. Uh, the so-called classic bundle patent will still exist. Uh, um, and... Uh, um, Uh, this uh, bundle patent uh, during a uh, uh, transitional period can be enforced uh, before the national courts or alternatively before uh, the uh, new uh, unified patent court um, unless uh, uh, um, the um, patent owner opted out. There will be an uh, opportunity for opting out the patent uh, and uh, the consequence of this opt-out would be that the patent will still stay exclusively uh, with the national uh, courts as the situation is right now. Uh, but uh, the new court will also uh, deal not only with the bundle patent, the classic European patent, but also with this 
new uh, uh, patent. Uh, you, you mentioned the so-called European patent, which will give unitary protection uh, to all member states. And with regard to this new patent, uh, the unified patent court, the new court, will be the only court also during the transitional period uh, with regard to uh, infringement uh, litigation. And I'm uh, uh, speaking of infringement litigation. This also includes uh, uh, a revocation uh, actions or counterclaim for revocation. Right. And in the beginning of November in Trier, there was an oral hearing on the 17th, so quite a few iterations, um, version of the rules and hopefully the final draft of the rules for the UPC, the Unified Patent Court. So can you give our listeners a brief summary of this particular meeting? Yes. Uh, as you rightly mentioned, there uh, were already a, a number of drafts before. And uh, uh, the draft uh, of the uh, rules of procedure, that, which uh, was uh, the basis for the, the three-year uh, um, hearing, public hearing, uh, was a so-called 17th draft. You, you may uh, raise the question, why uh, uh, do they need so many drafts? But uh, maybe as a kind of uh, explanation in this regard, um, this is, the uh, I think, uh, the, the first uh, uh, example where uh, you have uh, rules of procedure that are not only inspired by either civil law or uh, common law, but that are a kind of merger between uh, the civil and the common law uh, um, procedural law. And so uh, this, uh, to, to, to get to, to uh, results also in view of a very particular uh, litigation, which is the patent uh, litigation, um, it, it, it took uh, quite an effort. And uh, this is the reason why we are uh, uh, now talking about the 17th draft. And as you rightly mentioned, the 17th draft has been uh, the basis for this oral hearing, uh, um, where um, and the, uh, all stockholders uh, could uh, um, uh, um, attend and uh, um, um, uh, comment uh, and uh, and um, comment on on this draft. Uh, the the public hearing essentially uh, dealt with four main issues, um, controversial issues to some extent. And the first one was the so-called opt-out. I already mentioned this. Uh, uh, you can uh, uh, opt out with the uh, with the European patent um, from the new court if you. Who wanted to, to stay uh, with the uh, with the national courts, um, and uh, there are a, f uh, uh, a few technical issues that were discussed in Trier. Um, the second uh, uh, issue was uh, the language regime before uh, the new uh, uh, court, uh, the Unified Patent Court, uh, in particular before this uh, local and regional divisions. Uh, the third point was uh, uh, injunctive relief. Um, as you uh, uh, probably know, uh, uh, injunctive relief uh, will uh, be uh, a matter of uh, uh, discretion um, under the agreement on the Unified uh, Patent Court, which is uh, uh, different from the situation uh, we have at least in Germany right now, where uh, the, uh, the court has no discretion once infringement has been um, uh, established. Uh, the court uh, uh, has to issue an uh, uh, injunctive uh, order um, unless there are some reasons with regard to good faith, but with, which is uh, really very, very, very exceptional. 
But with the new court, it is uh, discretion, but uh, um, uh, still, uh, even it, uh, though it is discretion, which was also mentioned in TRIA, and probably uh, there are some uh, indications uh, that um, the new court will follow um, the, the practice of the English courts, which um, even though they have discretion in deciding on injunctive relief, uh, they uh, uh, only... Um, 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 they, 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 most of the time, they, they issue an, an injunctive uh, order once infringement has been uh, established. And this was uh, largely uh, discussed in TRIA on this issue. And the fourth uh, point is about procedural appeal, uh, which uh, was also a uh, um, uh, um, controversially discussed issue, uh, meaning whether all procedural uh, uh, orders and decisions of the court uh, 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 can be appealed, um, and um, um, the, the current uh, uh, 17th draft provides in this regard um, that uh, procedural decisions can be appealed when uh, appeal has uh, been uh, a leave for uh, appeal has been granted, uh, and if uh, no leave for appeal has been granted by the uh, court of first instance then um, the um, party uh, concerned may uh, 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 issue a request for a discretionary review uh, on which uh, the uh, so-called standing judge of the uh, uh, Court of Appeal uh, will decide, and only if he uh, um, um, supports uh, the discretionary review, then uh, this decision, uh, um, then uh, and the way is open for procedural uh, appeal, and if the, the standing judge says uh, no, he is not uh, um, allowing discretionary review, then uh, this issue will not go to the court of appeal. So these four uh, uh, issues were dis largely discussed in TRIA, and uh, in addition to this, also a number of uh, more technical uh, issues. Right, and I heard there was some uh, discussion about the language that can be used by the regional courts. Yes, um, and the principle with regard to a language of proceeding before the uh, local or regional court is uh, that uh, the language is the official language of the uh, member state, uh, participating member state that is hosting the local or the regional uh, division. Um, however, it is also provided for in the agreement uh, that um, uh, in addition or instead of uh, this uh, uh, language, um, uh, it can be uh, one of the three official languages of the, the EPO, meaning uh, German, English, and French. Uh, and so uh, there is now a, a lot of uh, discussion um, going on um, whether uh, local divisions uh, should, uh, uh, at least in addition to the official language, uh, also add uh, one of the EPO languages. And, uh, of course, most of the time uh, uh, it is discussed whether English should be uh, additional language um, uh, to the, uh, so, uh, let's say, local uh, language. Um, and um, um, the, uh, what was discussed in TRIA is uh, whether uh, this second language, the EPO language, uh, um, um, can also be uh, uh, restricted only to a particular part of the proceeding, meaning uh, that, uh, um, for example, English as a 
second language, uh, uh, so to uh, say, uh, can uh, be only uh, used um, for um, um, uh, as an additional language, can only be used, for example, for the written pleadings or um, uh, only for the oral hearings, which uh, could result in a situation in which uh, uh, the, the plaintiff uh, could use English before, uh, for example, local division in, in Germany, but the defendant uh, would use uh, German uh, and, um, and the court uh, would also uh, um, use German uh, as a language. And uh, the discussion in Trier uh, was uh, um, um, uh, essentially about whether this is a, a, a good way to deal um, uh, with the... Um, Proceedings and uh, what was discussed, for example, is a situation before the EPO Board of Appeals, uh, where uh, uh, some of the uh, um, uh, uh, people attending uh, the uh, uh, public hearing uh, were mentioning that uh, uh, also a, a number of, uh, or not, not only one language is used, but uh, also a second or third of the EPO uh, official languages. That's interesting. <laughs> to see that uh, some other languages besides English might play an important role in the system. So um, what, in your opinion, would be the major obstacles that still need to be overcome for the system to really work? Well, uh, I think uh, there you can uh, essentially differentiate between the, 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 the legal uh, uh, um, Uh, obstacles that still have to be uh, overcome uh, um, and um, the so-called uh, practical uh, um, or material uh, um, obstacles that have to be uh, overcome. Uh, let's first turn to the legal uh, um, um, points. Uh, it is, uh, the, the agreement provides that um, the whole uh, system uh, uh, is ready uh, for uh, for uh, Uh, for start, when uh, uh, 13 uh, of the participating member states um, uh, have, uh, um, have ratified uh, the, uh, the agreement exactly, and, um, uh, and including the three big ones where the most uh, of the application uh, were filed in the uh, past. Uh, and currently we are uh, at, at a stage where uh, five uh, of the participating member states have ratified uh, the agreement, including France as one of the big three. Um, so uh, we are waiting uh, uh, for uh, 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 the rest so that uh, this threshold is uh, met. Um, in addition, of course, a lot of other pieces or legislation has to be prepared concerning questions of, for example, legal aid or the provisions dealing with the qualification of patent attorneys to be admitted to the court to present cases on their own. So uh, a lot of uh, other issues has, or have also still to be prepared in this regard. Uh, and of course also the roots of procedure that uh, are almost finished but not uh, finished yet. So, so you just mentioned some uh, legal obstacles. Are there any 
like uh, the material obstacles yes. also uh, I to think, be overcome? I um, think one of the most challenging uh, ones is um, uh, the setting up of the IT infrastructure for the, the new court um, because uh, this um, uh, is uh, technically, I think, uh, challenging and uh, it also needs uh, um, communication between uh, the IT specialists and, but also uh, from the legal point of view. Um, and this has to be set up in, in, a, in a number of uh, contracting member states, uh, which we even do not know at the moment uh, where the local or the regional divisions uh, will be. Uh, so there, I think there's uh, still a lot of uh, work uh, to be done, and I think it has to be really operational uh, when uh, the, 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 the uh, system is going uh, to start. Uh, we, we cannot afford to have a, um, a non-operational uh, IT system uh, and kicking off the whole thing. Uh, so this, I think, is one very essential uh, uh, um, point. Uh, another one is, of course, uh, the uh, the training of the judges um, and also the setting up of um, of the of the building uh, and uh, the personnel uh, below the, the, the judges level uh, and um, all these uh, kind of uh, uh, things. Right. So. Um this this court will probably handle or people expect the court to be to handle quite a quite a lot um, patent litigation so where do you see the german patent litigation going and will there be the bifurcation system in the future or do you see that going away um i don't think i i do not expect major changes in this regard uh um, um, the main problem at the moment with regard to bifurcation uh, is probably that it uh, takes too long uh, to, to uh, get a decision uh, from uh, the German Federal Patent Court uh, in parallel litigation, parallel to uh, infringement litigation before one of the district courts. Um, this uh, probably is, an, uh, is a problem that has to be addressed. Uh, if um, um, once uh, infringement litigation has been uh, started, uh, uh, you will uh, get uh, in, in a shorter time also a decision, uh, at least a first instance decision in the revocation, parallel revocation uh, proceedings. Um, then I think, uh, uh, by and large, the, the bifurcation system, as we Uh, 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 have it right now in Germany is a well-functioning system and could uh, uh, continue for, for also in the future. So do you see the number of patent litigation cases going down in the near future, let's say for Düsseldorf, Hamburg, Munich or Mannheim? Uh, and do you see the Unified Patent Court replacing basically the patent litigation courts that are currently made used, mainly used, or do you see that as an additional, uh, you know, court where people will go to court? Do you do you see a future for for the national courts basically? I think uh, a number of uh, stakeholders uh, will uh, lean back. For us for some time and see how things are evolving once the new system has uh, started. Uh, and um, when the new system is uh, doing well, then they might uh, be uh, interested also to litigate before the new system. 
if the new system is not uh, doing well, then um, at least for the transitional uh, uh, period, um, of course, the national courts uh, will be still be attractive. There you know what you get, essentially. And uh, so I think for the uh, for the time being, at least for the first seven years, uh, you know, the transitional period will, uh, will last uh, seven years. Uh, I think uh, um, we will see both system and the new system uh, evolving uh, step by step. And uh, uh, but of course, still uh, uh, you have the, the, the national uh, courts that uh, have uh, in the past proven to be. Uh, uh, efficient, uh, at least in some uh, contracting member states, uh, and uh, I think for so for the, for the time being, uh, you will see both uh, systems. And only if the new system is really going to be a success uh, story, uh, then of course uh, you will see, uh, at least to some extent, a, a shift from the national courts to the new uh, system. Uh, maybe also depending a bit on on the on the on the. On the kind of case, uh, whether it's more uh, a case that uh, is more um, cross-border uh, with this cross-border uh, um, aspects, or whether it is a, uh, only a, a, a litigation or a infringement that uh, concerns only one country, then of course it may still make sense to go national. For example, our our firm mostly represents medium-sized clients, not uh, really huge corporations and um, the the middle the medium-sized clients or even the larger corporations they see that the German system is quite cost efficient compared to the expected costs of the UPC and it's probably quicker and anyway currently like two-thirds of all patent litigation cases are handled in by German courts and uh, in Europe so my personal expectation is that the German court system will still have a, um, a very good future um, in patent litigation. Yes, I, I, uh, basically I would support this view. I, I do not uh, fear that uh, German patent judges will uh, get unemployed in the near future. <laughs> sure. So um, some applicants fear that the judges with nearly no patent experience so far might cancel their EU-wide patents. Um, are these concerns justified? Um, I, I think this will, the future will tell. Um, and the, um, the statute, like uh, the agreement, um, um, essentially uh, uh, um, provide uh, two requirements with regards to uh, the appointment uh, or selection and appointment of uh, judges. And the one uh, point is uh, that uh, the judges shall be uh, um, have them be experienced uh, uh, in in uh, patent matters. Um, and uh, the second point is a, a balanced composition of the court, geographically balanced. Uh, I think both aspects uh, um, are to some extent justified because, um, of course, we, we need uh, experienced judges for the new system because otherwise you, you could not uh, deal with this uh, with, um, patent methods. Uh, on the other hand, uh, of course, this is going to be a court uh, for um, not only uh, the two or three, four or five experienced uh, 
uh, with regard to patent litigation, experienced member states, but uh, for a, a number of um, uh, for for more uh, um, um, member states, and they also have to be represented to some extent. Um, my personal formula would be, and I'm. Uh, um, I'm thinking a bit of my time as a presiding judge in Dusseldorf, where we also had uh, young colleagues uh, that had no experience uh, as part of the judges' panel. Um, and uh, in Dusseldorf, uh, when uh, where th panel three judges uh, decides the case, as long as there is only one less experienced judge, I think um, the system is still working uh, quite well, uh, as long as the other two judges are experienced. Uh, so um, transferring uh, this to uh, to the new system, um, I would say uh, we also have a panel of three judges, at least uh, three legally qualified judges, at least for the uh, uh, with regard to the uh, local and uh, regional divisions. As long as you have two experienced judges uh, on the panel, uh, I think it is possible to have a third one who still has to gain his experiences. But if it would be the other way around, only one experienced judge and two not experienced judges, then I think I would be a bit worried about the future of the system. So um, thank you very much for your valuable time. This has been extremely helpful to hear from the source, basically, <laughs> of the rules. So uh, thank you very much to be on the show. It uh, has been my pleasure. Thank you very much. So I really hope that you got as much out of this as I did. Finally, I promised you to tell you more about the USPTO eligibility guidance for patents. Following the Alice decision in June, the USPTO issued this guidance. It is a 56 document. It is a 56 page document, so quite lengthy and replaces the very similar KSR guidelines. So I won't go through all these pages. I will leave this to you. But in general, the guidance goes through the various decisions. In Alice, the Supreme Court made clear that patents can no longer be granted for natural phenomena and for just abstract ideas. And in this guidance, the USPTO gives examples for natural phenomena, such as isolated DNA or a correlation that is a consequence of how a certain compound is metabolized by the body or electromagnetism to transmit signals or a chemical principle underlying the union between fatty elements and water. And as examples for an abstract idea, the USPTO is listing mitigating settlement risks or hedging, creating a contractual relationship, using advertising as an exchange or currency, or similar abstract ideas. So in Alice, the Supreme Court developed the idea to grant patents based on such phenomena or abstract ideas if there is significantly more to the claim. And in the guidance, the USPTO defines the significantly more as an improvement to another technology or technical field, improvements to a functioning of the computer itself, applying the judicial exception with or by use of a particular machine, 
effecting a transformation or reduction of a particular article to a different state or thing, adding a specific limitation other than what is well understood, routine and conventional in the field, or adding unconventional steps that confine the claim to a particular useful application, citing Mayu, or other meaningful limitations beyond generally linking the use of the judicial exception to a particular technological environment, citing Alice. Fellow blogger Jean Quinn has an exceptionally well-written summary of the guidance, and I am giving you the link here, so you can find his summary by going to ipfridays.com slash patent eligibility guidance, one word, ipfridays.com slash patent eligibility guidance. So with this, I hope you enjoyed the show and hope you tune in next time. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.